In this episode, I am talking to Abby Ashley, the CEO of Virtual Savvy. Now, if you don't know what Virtual Savvy is, it is one of the biggest virtual assistant training programs out there. And Abby has been running this business for several years now and has grown it to multi-millions, training thousands of virtual assistants along the way. Abby and I have been friends for several years now, and every time I get a chance to connect with her, I am just so impressed with all of the wisdom that she has when it comes to both online business and life. So I am so excited to bring you our conversation today. What I especially want you to be listening for and what I think is some of the biggest value of our conversation is our discussion on the ups and downs of entrepreneurship and how that can really lead a lot of business owners to ultimately quit their businesses, even when they're multi six, seven or eight figure business owners and successful by so many metrics. But when your business grows a whole lot and then it declines, even if overall it's still on a good trajectory, even if overall it is still a big successful business, that can make a lot of entrepreneurs feel like failures and can lead them to quit. And honestly, this has happened to me in the past and I've never completely thrown in the towel, but there have been times when numbers went down and it just made me feel like a failure. So Abby and I had a great conversation about our experience with this phenomenon and how to deal with it, how to overcome it so that if you are going through this right now, you can get some guidance on how to navigate it. Or if you've never gone through this, I think that this is a really important thing to understand before you go through this so that it doesn't sideline you when it inevitably happens. Because here's the truth. If you grow your business, your business becomes more and more successful, this is going to happen to you at some point. And it's really important that you know how to navigate it. We became entrepreneurs because more than anything, we want freedom. We want to be in control of our own schedule, income, and life. But unfortunately, that isn't always the reality of being a business owner. I'm Gillian Perkins, and I'm on a mission to take back entrepreneurship for what it's supposed to be. In every episode, I'll share with you how to get the most out of every hour you work so that you can work less and earn more. Let's get to it. Abby, so good to have you here. Welcome to the show. Hey, oh, I haven't talked to you in so long. How are you? I know it has been a while. I have a ton I want to get into with you today. I want to talk all about what has been going on with your business as you've been scaling so much over these past years. Talk about how COVID and the pandemic has affected things for better or for worse. I'm not really sure. You know, you can let me know. And I've also got some questions from our Startup Society members about VAs and VA agencies that I want to share with you as well. Awesome. I'm super excited. Yeah. So let's get right into it. So for people who aren't really familiar with you and your brand, but also for me, like I said, I just want to know what's been going on, you know, as you've been scaling, can you share the story, like start in the early days, but then zoom us forward real quick of like the story of scaling your business. For sure. So Let's see, taking it back. Um, so I actually started my virtual assistant business in 2015 and started off by just offering general VA work, was able to scale 
basically into a little mini agency. I was pregnant when I started my business. So I uh, realized very quickly that I was going to need a team to support me because I had maternity leave coming up. And so my own self-imposed maternity leave that I was going to do. So I built a team right from the beginning. And I think that that kind of mentality has carried me through business is that I have always felt like I don't want to do this alone. I love having a team. And so moving forward, I eventually created an online course to teach other people how to start virtual assistant businesses because it had changed my life so much. I was able to retire my husband, was able to really like create this freedom life for ourselves through virtual assistants. And I wanted other people to know about that. So I created an online course and really... Since that December 2016, when we first launched the course, that's what I've been doing ever since is growing a community of VAs, really passing on this knowledge. And so we now have a team of 10 full-time team members that support the course and all of our students. We have a community of over 120,000 VAs over on Facebook. And so we are just trying to get this message out that work from home life is really an option and having a lot of fun in the process. I love business. I love online business. So I can sit and chat about this all day. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That was a really good summary of your business growth. I'm curious now in these like last, I don't know how long it's been since we've talked last over a year, I know (laughs) a year or two here. So what has been happening? Because last we talked, you know, your business had it was kind of at the point where you just stopped with your story, I think. You know, you had grown it up, you had a good team, you had scaled your course. And so I'm really curious, like how things have panned out since then. How have you been able to continue to grow it? And maybe you could touch on like how the pandemic affected things one way or another. For sure. I think that this is a really good conversation to have. So I think that the pandemic was it affected businesses in one way or another. And so unfortunately, a lot of businesses had a huge dip in revenue or had to close their doors entirely during the pandemic. And so I think that we had the advantages online business owners that we were open in a time that people were home and were looking for solutions. And so the majority of online business owners and even service providers that I've spoken with had really a spike in revenue. And that's exactly what happened to us is that during COVID, so specifically 2020 and 2021, were huge, huge years for us. I mean, we literally doubled in revenue, went from a team of eight to a team of 22. Like it was insane. Wow. (laughs) And for most of us, like we just didn't know. And I look back and I mean, we needed that to support our growth. But also, I think none of us knew what the future was like. Is this something that's going to continue or is this something that was kind of a blip? And so for us, we went down in revenue in 2022 and have kind of stabilized in 2023. And I think that there's a couple of things that I would mention about that. Like if we look at our overall growth from 2016, 17, 18, 19. Like if we took out 2021 and 2022, it'd be like, oh, we're actually doing like good sustainable growth. Like we always have been. Like I literally like grafted out like a chart and said, oh, look, our revenue is right on track. But I think for a lot of people going off of like our COVID high, it seems like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. We went down in revenue because we went a considerable amount down in revenue from 2021 to 2022. But for us, it's the nature of business in general is, okay, 
here's the current market. How do we pivot? And so we pivoted in 2020 and 2021 to like serve more people and grow a bigger team and all those things. And so 2022 was really rough for us. Like we had to cut some team members, which were awesome people. So that was really hard and just restabilize because one of the things that we're really big on is keeping good, healthy profit margins. And so I'm like, we can't basically have the business that we had in 2022. We're starting back to like, definitely not ground zero. And we're up from where we were in 2019. But now we're just kind of on that normal growth path again, which honestly, I kind of prefer because those two years were insane. Like that much growth was kind of unsustainable. So I would kind of prefer it this way. But it's been tough. So if anybody is listening, and you have had a rough year, like know that from everyone that I've talked to and us too, like we are doing less than we had projected this year, but that doesn't mean that we can't still grow. And so next year in looking at, you know, for us, we're in 2023 right now, looking at 2024 planning, what does that look like? Like we're looking to grow by like 10%, like 10, where we were growing like 100, 200% before, like what 10% growth look like? And we want to get back to just like growing steadily, serving our students, having fun, enjoying this whole process instead of just being like, oh, we have to grow and grow and grow. We have to double overnight. Like, no, we did that. Let's just have like slow, sustainable growth and have a lot of fun in the process is kind of our new motto. Abby, thank you so much for just being so like transparent about that. And uh, I think that this is such like an important conversation, like you were saying, to have. And I think different people, you know, had different experiences at different points with pandemic and post-pandemic. And I think it was also kind of telling in like 2020, 2021, I saw a lot of online business owners, big and small, suddenly start acting like victims. (laughs) Did you see this too? A lot of us were doing like kind of better than ever. And then some of them were like, oh, you know, like can't sell anything because of the pandemic. And I was kind of scratching my head like, you can't, can you? Because it seems great to me. But then I've experienced the same thing post-pandemic. Our revenue hasn't dipped, but we were like doubling and doubling up until around 2020. And then since then, it's been more of a plateau. And the first year we were plateaued, which was probably 2021. So we saw more of a spike in 2020. And then 2021, we see this plateau. And I was expecting to, you know, like double again, because that's what had been happening for the past few years. And I was just like, what's happening, you know? And I think that personally, I tend to be like a very trajectory focused person. So what I mean by that is I see like the trend of the numbers and I continue that trend in my mind to its ultimate end. So like, I'm like, okay, the numbers are going up. So that means it like, and I don't like think about this literally or logically, but subconsciously I'm thinking that means in 10 years, I'll be like a billionaire sort of thing. (laughs) And then as soon as the numbers dip or even plateau, I'm like, everything is awful. Everything is ruined. My business is dying. And so I can only imagine that when you saw your revenue dip so significantly, and I think you said 2022, that you quite possibly had a similar reaction of, oh no, everything is over. You know, like now I'm on the decline. Did you feel like that at all? I know that's how I would have felt. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. And I mean, 2022 was just in general, it's like the year we don't speak of. It was just a hard year, even personally, you know, We had a pretty major death in the family. My husband had a heart attack, which is not even something that like I've talked about a whole lot. We had some just issues happen that were totally outside of business, but really affected us. So that on top of our revenue going down, 
it was my hardest year personally and in business I've ever had, ever. Like my husband has been working for the business for years. And so he and I even started struggling. And so we kind of just stripped everything away and said, what really matters? You know, let's have a healthy, happy team. So we worked really hard to make that happen. Our marriage is really important. And so we dove in and we freaking fought for our marriage and we did marriage counseling and we did all this stuff. And I'm happy to say we're at the best place that we've been probably ever in our marriage. But it was hard and it was a fight. So honestly, revenue growth really wasn't even my goal this past year because it's like, let's just get everything sustainable. Like, let's just get breathing room again in the business personally, you know, like this is the first podcast I've been on in a very long time. I haven't really been well, traveling you. or anything because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, of course. I was so actually happy because we're finally like head above water again. And like, I'm always a transparent person. I'll talk about that stuff on podcasts and things, but I just didn't have the emotional or mental capacity. And I think that if anybody is out there and they're listening and maybe you're in that season right now, like I remember feeling like I would never get out of this. And just like you were saying, like you just feel like, oh my gosh, we're on the decline. My business is dying. No, no, it's not. Like you can have dips in life. You can have dips in business. You can have dips in marriage, but you can come out the other side. And I feel like we're finally just like, ah, head above water again. So now it's like, we're looking at next year and it's the first year that we're really like, yeah, let's plan for growth. Because last year, coming out of 2022 and coming into 2023 was just kind of like, how do we just get things good again? Make sure the team is good. Make sure our marriage is good. Make sure like me emotionally, mentally, and health-wise that I'm good. Yeah, it's been a ride lately, (laughs) but that's where we're at. This is not easy. Entrepreneurship is not easy. And I still, even through the low, low lows, it's still worth it, but it's not easy. I love what you shared about charting it out so that you could see that you were still on a good trajectory of growth. You just had this major spike in the meanwhile, right? And I've had to do similar things myself because no one tells you how hard it can be to have a spike like that. Not just because you suddenly have to grow your team and things like that, but because of the emotional turmoil that can come after the spike. Because what goes up must come down to sort of thing, right? If you have a huge spike, most likely that's not going to be sustained. Of course, sometimes it is, you know, sometimes a spike bumps you up to a new plateau. That happens frequently, but it definitely doesn't happen all the time. More often after a spike, you kind of settle back down to your old normal level or your old normal trajectory of growth. And I think that a lot of the time people before they have any big spikes in their business or big spikes with their creative work, they think if I could just have one big win, then that would change everything. And often it does, but they just don't realize like I said, that emotional turmoil that can come as a result. And that is the normal cycle of business growth. For example, if you look at a chart of the economic growth over time, and I'm not talking about just like in recent times or anything like that, but you look at a chart and it goes up and then it falls down, but not quite as far as it was before, right? And then it goes up and it falls down, but not quite as far as before. And so it's like this overall upward trajectory, but it has these peaks and these valleys in it, right? And I think that that is the normal course of any business's growth cycle. And so it can take a few of those cycles, a few of those little roller coaster up and downs before you start to 
kind of develop that endurance that you need and get that perspective that like, this is normal. And then still a really big loop can totally throw you for a loop again, you know, where it's like, whoa, this was incredible. Now our business is twice the size, right? And then, oh, wait, no, it's not. Yeah. And I'm learning, like, I got to experience different landscapes of business. So we were, we were like a $2 million company pre-COVID. We jumped to literally a $4 million company overnight. Like, that's what we did in 2020 and 2021. And like, that's a really different landscape. Being a $4 million company, like revving up to be $5 million, I felt like we built a really big team. Like I said, almost 20 people. That's like an organization. That's not like a small <laughs> team. So I almost feel like I got like a taste of that, which was really interesting. And I'm grateful for it. But now that we're back down, so like we will around like 2.8, I think is what we'll do this year. So again, we're still around, we went from like two to four to three. Okay, cool. And I think that right here, I'm like, ooh, I think I really like this space. Like a team of like nine or 10 people, we're small and mighty. I don't even know if I want to grow to like a huge, huge team again. Like I really like this. We feel really team mentality, all hands on deck, like really vision and purpose driven. And I feel like we almost lost that having a really, really big team. And so it's just interesting, like now as we continue to plan for growth, it's like, what can we learn from that huge spike and coming back down? And even now, knowing that we're in like still, I think a little bit of economic tough times. I don't even know if the economy is that bad as much as like people are just little bit tighter on their wallets currently. And so it's like, are we going to use that as an excuse? Or are we going to say, okay, this is the landscape. How do we pivot? Which is, that's what we did in 2020. This is the landscape. How do we pivot? Let's serve more people. And now there's a new landscape. How do we pivot? Okay, let's do this small and mighty team. Let's maintain really good profit margins. Because again, we don't fully know what the economy is going to do over the next year or two. Like, let's not let that stunt our ingenuity too. Like, let's keep thinking of new things and let's keep being creative and being inventive. And I think that this is definitely a time in the online business space where you can't necessarily just wash, rinse, repeat mm -hmm. what always worked before. I think that that really, really worked for a long time. I know like 2016 to 2020, we just like did the same thing over and over and it just kept working. And I don't think that that's the case anymore, but that's okay. Like that's the new landscape how do we adjust? How do we bring our creativity back and do more things creatively, use our ingenuity to like meet the new landscape? So I don't know. This season of business just feels fun because we had the like really predictable growth season. It was just like wash, rinse, repeat, do these things, do this five-step webinar and it works. Cool. We had the crazy growth season where it was like, whoa, wildfire, everything. Here were our projections and we blow them out of the water and we're growing and we're growing. We had that and it was chaos. It was fun. And now it's like, I feel like the new landscape is back to our roots, creativity, ingenuity. It almost feels like real business, you know? Like, And I think I enjoy it more. So I don't know. I'm really excited for this season. And I think a lot of it's perspective. We could stay focused on like where we were or we can say, hey, this is where I'm at. And I'm going to move forward. I don't know if anybody's like, <laughs> I'm a little bit of like a bigger girl. And so like, I've lost weight a few times in my life. And so I could like, if I'm at a place where I'm like, oh, you know, I really want to like regain some of my health and lose some weight. If I've been at a smaller place in my life, I can't just beat myself up for like, 
oh, here's where I was and what that was like. And it's like, no, I am who I am. I still like myself. I'm happy. Maybe I need to like tighten up a few things that I've gotten loose on. But this is the current landscape. Let's just look at it optimistically and go from here. And that's kind of the way I see business as well is just kind of, I could look back to where we were. Look at the glory days. Look what we had. Okay, what is that going to help me? I'm going to learn what I learned in that season and I'm going to apply it to now, but I can't like use it as a whipping post for myself. Like what good does that do, right? Yeah, there's really no good that comes from like missing the past. Like I think reminiscing is kind of like a pretty word, right? And if we're reminiscing the past, I think that's nice. You know, like, oh, you know, that was nice at that time. But if you're beating yourself up, like you said, for not being there now, that's not going to change anything. I heard this quote. It was like, you can argue with reality. So like your current circumstances, but you will lose 100% of the time, Yeah, right? So it's like, we can try to change the way things are now, but it's only gonna make us unhappy. So we really just have to embrace where we are today. And I love what you said, you know, learn from what we learned in the past, what we've experienced in the past and choose what we will do moving forward. But also another thing I've been thinking about lately is I read this book recently called The Gap and the Gain. I don't know if you've ever read that book, but it's all about measuring yourself compared to where you've been in the past versus measuring yourself compared to your like future ideal. Because for pretty much everyone, that future ideal is always a moving goalpost. Like you're running the race and that finish line is always moving in front of you because every time you achieve something, you set a new bigger goal. Like that's how goal setting works, right? And so if you're measuring yourself compared to where you want to go, then you'll never be satisfied with where you are right now. You'll always feel like you're falling short. If on the other hand, you measure yourself compared to where you were when you started, you can see how far you've come, right? And not just like compared to your highest point, but compared to, like I said, where you were when you started. And imagine like literally picture yourself being in your shoes, in yourself back when you started your business and what your goals were and everything. And think about like where you are today and how amazed and proud you would be of yourself, like how far you've come. That's been an exercise I've been doing a lot lately and I've been finding it really encouraging. So you talked about like there was this thing that worked for a long time from like 2016 to 2020 and we could kind of just rinse and repeat. And I had the same experience, but like in retrospect, even though that kind of felt like a long time and it was in the moment, that's actually like a really short amount of time, you know, like technology is being innovated so quickly and the internet hasn't really been around for even that long. And so industry and especially online business industry is just rapidly changing. And so there was kind of like a lull in there, like a sweet spot where people had found some things that worked. So those of us who like took action on those things, they kept working for a little while until like the market got ahead of us again, I think. And so then we started innovating. And I think thankfully, that pandemic kind of like jolted us all into innovating a bit like, oh, the world's different. We're going to do something different. But at the same time, it was also a little bit negative because we didn't realize that the old thing wasn't working. We were just like adapting to the landscape. And so then post pandemic, I think that that's something I experienced for sure, where like, I don't even know how much of it was post pandemic so much as that the market had outgrown those strategies I was using. So now I was kind of like behind the times. And so then I've been having to now innovate without that force of like the pandemic inspiring me to innovate, if you will. No, I totally get that. And I agree 100%. And that's where we're just kind of looking at the current landscape and all right, what trends are we seeing? And what kind of gut 
predictions do we have? And let's just dive into those. I think one of the things that we've always done and will continue to do is not just throwing spaghetti against the wall at any kind of strategy or tactic or just like the spray and pray approach, you know, like, let me try a million different things. Let's see what works. Like, we like to be really methodical and intentional in just a few different methods. So we have really leaned on YouTube and on our Facebook group, and we'll continue to do those things and adjust what is the best way to reach those audiences. And then going forward, we're also looking at just how do we do short form content, I think is still something that we're trying to add in a little bit more. And just like relatability, storytelling, personal touch. Like I think that's the big theme for us, at least next year is and the craziest thing, I was at church actually on Sunday and a girl came up to me, which I, I mean, I live in Springfield, Missouri and I don't know, like somebody came up and like recognized me, which I think has been the first time that's ever like happened like in the wild. <laughs> oh my gosh, are you happy at the virtual time? I'm like, oh, yeah, this is weird, right? Like I'm just working the board at church, like where that talks about small groups and stuff. I'm like, yes, hi. And it was, but it was really cool because she's telling me her story and she's, and I'm just like, oh, I forget how much I miss this because I haven't been at as many conferences and and things like that in the past year. And so like a simple thing that we're doing is just meetups, you know, like literally I'm going to Kansas City this weekend and I was able in ConvertKit, my email provider, I could see how many people are within a 50 mile radius of Kansas City. And I literally just sent an email and I'm like, I'm going to be at this coffee shop. Anybody want to meet up? And so we're just meeting and I'm so excited to do that. And I want to do that throughout this next year because I don't care so much about like crazy growth this next year. I want to grow. I want to grow slowly and intentionally. And I want to have a lot of fun and really like feel the impact we're making. You know, like I want to get less focused on the numbers and more focused on just the people and the stories and just like hug a neck of a person that I've impacted. You know, I think that that's my 2024. Like I just impact over numbers is really what I'm shooting for. I am right there with you, Abby. I think that as my numbers have grown too, I start to feel sort of like disassociated sometimes from the people. And like, I just need to focus on the numbers. I just need to maintain the numbers. And this past year, especially, I've been just leaning into like, how can I connect more with the people? How can I connect more with the content I'm creating and be more hands-on with it? How can I connect more with my team? Because I find that those connections and also just like focusing on the process rather than the outcome is really what brings me like fulfillment and joy in my work and makes me want to go to work and love what I do. Whereas focusing on the numbers, you know, there's a threshold. We've probably heard like a study in the past that found that something like people actually are happier as they make more money up to, this was a few years ago, but it was up to something like $80,000 a year. And then once they get over that threshold, making more money doesn't make them any happier. Have you heard that study ever? No, but I believe it. (laughs) Yeah, everyone experiences that, I think, in their business where you're in the early days, you're not making any money and you are either like stressed that you're not making money or you're just like in major problem solving mode. You got to learn all the things. Then you start making a little money and that's like fun and exciting. But then if you don't keep growing quickly, then you're like, oh, this isn't nearly enough money to be living on. And that can be really stressful and frustrating. But it keeps being like 
fun and you are like really motivated by those external things, making more money until you get up to around, I think is probably now more like a hundred thousand dollars, which is like a conveniently round number. Am I right? (laughs) And then once you pass the like hundred thousand dollars a year in profit, basically then pass there, it's like some people probably still are motivated by the external. I think a lot of us think we're still motivated by the external. And we think that is what will make us happier, or at least we kind of feel like it subconsciously. But I can just tell you, it doesn't really make you any happier. It is satisfying, of course, to hit bigger numbers. But what makes you happier is doing a better job with your work, like having a higher commitment to quality, connecting with people on a deeper level, and just focusing overall on the process and the connections. So I just couldn't agree with you more, Abby. And that's what's so cool is that like, really the vision of our company is to make the freedom life possible. And we, so we talk about like, what is your freedom life? And what's so incredible is that my freedom life, I believe is actually really similar to what it was when I was like newer in my company, not making as much that kind of thing. Because at the end of the day, like, what do I enjoy? What makes me happy? I enjoy serving people and teaching. I was doing that back then, right? I enjoy having flexibility in my schedule. Like I love being able to go to my kids' events. We do a four-day work week. So we take off every Friday and I just usually do fun stuff or personal stuff or have lunch with a friend. Like I love that. And I could do that then too. All of that happened once I passed into entrepreneurship, not once I hit a certain six-figure, seven-figure number. I love being able to travel, you know? And like maybe our travel looks a little bit different, but like We still traveled and had fun. We traveled when we were straight broke. I remember my husband and I going to Vegas for the first time, like really newly on in our marriage. And we did the whole trip on like Groupons. That's when Groupon was like really big. And we literally like planned a Groupon Vegas trip. And because that's always been a value to us, it's always been something we enjoyed. So we figured out how to do it even when we didn't have money. So I do, I agree with you. I think that at a certain point, obviously money is very stressful. But then after that, I can live my freedom life right now, whether I'm making this amount per month, this amount per month, or this amount per month. How can I just enjoy my life now? That's really what matters, not hitting the next milestone. Okay, so let's take a little bit of a left turn because I know there's some things that the listeners would like to hear about your multi-million dollar successful course business, right? Let's talk about the tactical and practical and the making the money for a minute. I'm really curious. We talked about how some of the same old strategies, they're not quite working how they used to. So we're pivoting a little bit. What has your marketing, especially I'm thinking here, like your sales strategies look like over 2023? And are you going to change anything going into 2024? So I'm thinking like, what does your launch calendar look like? How much are you live launching versus having evergreen funnels? Talk to me about that. Yeah. So I will say things are looking like drastically different. So don't think that like, oh my gosh, we're shaking up everything. That's not necessarily because we learn year after year, launch after launch, and we tweak and adjust. And so we'll continue to do that. A couple things that we're personally doing differently. So we still live launch. I enjoy live launching. People hate it. I love it. I think it's thrilling. I love selling live. I love going on webinars. I love teaching like challenges and things like that. So a live launch strategy really works for me and my personality and the business. I just think it's fun. Um, so we do it. So I we will continue to do a couple of live launches. Something new that we're doing is more 
flash sales of lower ticket items. I think that there's a lot of people in this economy, like if we talk about reading the landscape, people want to get started. They want to have a taste, but they just genuinely can't. There are certain people, not everyone, they just genuinely can't afford that higher ticket thing. And so we're like, well, how do we get them in the gate? How do we serve them and get them some success so that they can eventually afford our higher ticket things or not, you know? And if they don't, that's great. We still serve them in a great way. So we're doing more things like Memorial Day and Labor Day flash sales. We'll do Black Friday, Cyber Monday, where we didn't always do those things in the past. The other thing is that we do have one high ticket offer And that is like a 12-month mastermind. And we've really, in the past, just tried to sell that without a super high-touch model. And it's just not working very well for us. I think we're getting into a landscape where if people are going to put down considerable money, they need to just talk to a live person. And so we're kind of that human-touch experience. Like I mentioned, you know, we're looking at how can we just do meetups and just talk to people. I think that, you know, and this is something that's happened post-COVID for sure, people started working from home, they went into their holes, and a lot of us never really came out. (laughs) Like, And so I think there is just a craving for personal touch for the human element of things. And so we're just looking at how can we add that in in any way possible? Like, can we add at the end, even during our live launches, let's just have a couple just Zoom calls where it's not just like a webinar, but where we can just get people in a room and just talk to them. Even if it's just five or six people, like let's just talk for real where it feels like a real person. And again, I know it's still through a screen, but it's a little bit more high touch than a webinar, you know, where you're just talking in the chat. So like, how can we do more Zoom calls? How can we do more in person? And how can we do like actual sales calls, even maybe getting on the telephone, what for like our higher ticket things. And so I'd say that those are the big differences. Again, more like flash sales, lower ticket, more in-person, personal touch. I think that those would be the main things that were changing for us. (laughs) Well, I talked about like wash, rinse, repeat. And for us specifically, we literally have been using like the same evergreen funnel for like six years. Like we haven't changed them because they just always work. So that's one thing we're doing right now is just a deep dive on how do we improve our funnels because they're just not converting like they used to. But hey, they served us really well for like six years. So I don't think that that's a bad thing. Yeah. But they're literally, I mean, you go back like my images. I took that picture like five or six years ago. Like these are, man, these are outdated. (laughs) So we're just taking the opportunity to do some like refreshing of our content and our copy, adding more storytelling, things like that. I'm sure it'll be really interesting to see once you like launch the fully updated versions of the funnel, how much your conversion rate does tick back up versus how much that specific like format of evergreen launch isn't working as well. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're doing a couple live launches and then you've got also these flash sales. You've also got the Evergreen Funnels. Could you at all like give me a really rough breakdown of like what percent of your revenue comes from your main like live launches? Do you have any idea? Yeah. So these are be real rough numbers, but... Yeah, that's okay. So this year we'll hit about 2.8 in sales. And out of that our two big launches of our main course. So this isn't all the flash sales and like our other things, but our two main launches 
brought in about probably, I'd say, one and a quarter. So like about half your revenue, it sounds like, or a little less than half your revenue is coming from those like two main live launches. It's from launching, yeah. And then you also mentioned that you have this high ticket offer that you're selling in a more like one-to-one or at least like a direct connection strategy. Talk to me about what the promotion like that looks like and how often you're connecting with people or starting up the program. Like, do you just start up the program once a year or are you enrolling people all year round? What does the scheduling on that look like? Well, we're actually in a transition of that one. So that one, I don't know if I can be like, oh, here is totally what's working for that one because we're getting great results. Like our students who are in that. So we've had like 40 people in the program over the past year and it's been an evergreen enrollment. So it's just a really slow trickle of what we've done. So we've done like two live pushes for it. They're not open, closed launches because it's open Mm -hmm. all the time. And so I think there hasn't been a whole lot of scarcity. So we've been talking about like, do we make this open, closed? Do we do this as a six-month mastermind instead of a 12-month? Do we add an in-person element to it is one of the things we've been talking about as well. So we're really like in the middle or do we keep this evergreen and just add like a more personal touch element to the evergreen on it? So I wouldn't say that we're like nailing our high ticket right now. So I don't know if you want to dissect too much. That's okay. I appreciate the real, the raw, you know, the (laughs) in the process. That's fantastic. I'm just like peeling back the pieces and like, what's going on in your business, Abby? (laughs) So that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, essentially, so we have our main course. We have three main offers and they go through the customer journey. Our main offer is our signature course. It's about a $1,400 product. It kind of depends on what tier you do. We have a monthly membership and that's kind of for people who are in the middle of our customer journey. So those are people who have a little bit more. So we teach people to become virtual assistants. So it's like you're at the startup person. You're ready to niche down, become an expert. This $47 a month membership is where you need to be. And then, oh, you're making a few thousand dollars a month. You got to join our high ticket program. So that's our customer journey. We have a few other like little tiny offers that we split in in between. We'll do a $97 little startup bundle for Black Friday. Those work really well with the flash sales with some upsells on the back end. But that's like essentially the business model. And so we have a product for each person in the customer journey We stick with these three main products and we just serve our students really, really well inside of those products. And so all of those have a launch and an evergreen component. So I'd say that the course itself does really well. The membership does well in itself. 40 to 50% of people who buy our course actually just go ahead and add on the membership right then at purchase. So that's really great. It's a good upsell and it's reoccurring monthly revenue for us. And then again, the high ticket is the part that we're like, okay, let's tweak this a little bit because I uh, we're not quite getting the results that we want from it so far. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Thanks for breaking it down that way. That made even more sense. So I'm just curious, like, do you promote your membership list-wide even though it is for that middle of the customer journey or is it only for people who have already purchased your main course? We do promote it list-wide because we understand that our customer base So again, it's virtual assistants and there are quite a few people in our audience that are established virtual assistants and they did so without our course. To replace your income as a virtual assistant, most people need like four clients to do so. It's not easy, but it's a fairly simple business model. And so there's a lot of people who go out and do it without ever taking a course or maybe they took somebody else's course, but then they want to join in on the journey. So 
that mid-level membership can be beneficial to a new VA. There are some elements to it that it's all about like niching and developing more service offers. So it's like a tech and industry training membership is what that middle ground membership is. So that can be beneficial to somebody right at the beginning. So we allow people to purchase it at any point in their journey, but it's really geared toward that middle ground person. Hey, I'm going to interrupt this episode for just a second to tell you about a brand new free training that I just created and am super excited about. Okay, so here's the backstory. Last Saturday, I sat down at my computer, I fired up Loom, and I recorded four screen share videos to hack my funnel for you. Basically, if you've ever wondered how my business generates so much passive income, you are about to find out in these four videos. In the first one, I take you through my entire funnel, blow by blow start to finish so you can see how it automatically turns a lead into a paying customer. Then in video two, I break down in detail our win-win webinar strategy because the webinar is a pivotal point in the funnel and it is what converts about half the leads that get converted. Then in the third video, I take you one by one through our sales email sequence. So I actually break down the individual emails for you. I talk about the cadence that we send those emails at and what is included in each email so that you can backwards engineer my funnel and understand how this system works. Okay, and then finally in video number four, I explained the big picture strategy of the 100K method and how you can implement this whole system into your own business. To get access to this free or video behind the scenes training and understand how my whole funnel works, all you need to do is go to gillianperkins.com slash BTS for behind the scenes. Okay, gillianperkins.com slash BTS. You can enter your name and email there and I will send you the link to be able to watch all four of those videos for free. You're going to love this. It is going to really show you how you can build a system like this in your own business so you can start past passively generating income by passively turning your visibility into sales in your business. You are going to love this and it is going to be such a game changer for you to be able to understand how you can build a system like this in your own business. It's interesting to me that you have a little bit of what might be called an upside down funnel where you start with a more expensive product. And I know now you have these like flash sale type bundles that you're putting together, but you've generally started with that more expensive product. And then you kind of almost have like a downsell to your next tier product, which that's a model that I've been experimenting a lot with because I used to have it exactly the opposite. I'd start out people with my cheapest product and then over time try to upsell them. But what I found was that it was tougher to get people results with the less expensive product because they weren't as emotionally committed because they hadn't spent as much money on it. And so then they would wind up feeling like, well, I've spent this money. I haven't really gotten results with this small thing I bought, so I shouldn't buy the big thing because I'm not ready for it. Instead, focusing on like front loading with the big outcome that they really want at this higher price point. And then after they've purchased that, or even after they've said no to that one way or the other, then downselling them to the less expensive products has been working really well for me as well. 
And when I say like either after they have bought and been successful or if they haven't, it's two different situations. One is like the person who has bought and been successful and now they just want kind of like that maintenance program. The other is the person who said no to the first offer because they weren't quite ready for it. It was too much of a commitment. And so I can downsell them to the less expensive offer. And those people may or may not end up converting later on to the high ticket product, but that does mean that we are maximizing the number of sales. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that is a great example of what we were kind of alluding to earlier with things that worked in the past and like past conventional wisdom when it came to digital marketing isn't necessarily what is working best today. And, you know, we used to see this model that was just like preached by everyone to start with a tripwire type offer and then upsell over time and have that value ladder. And now I'm seeing that it sounds like you're seeing too that the exact opposite is working oftentimes better. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. What were you going to say? No, I, I think it's a really good observation. And I'll say this, like the things that we would traditionally put in that upsell, a lot of that we're just giving away for free. Because I think that that's another thing is that people are less inclined just to download a one page freebie opt-in that has five bullet points on it. I feel like opt-ins used to be able to be kind of very bottom of the barrel information. And now like you have to earn somebody's email address. I really think you do. And so a lot of the things that we've talked about, oh, maybe this could be a tripwire or that we're like, let's just make that an opt-in and let's just give that value away upfront for free. Mm -hmm. And then people are, again, they're seeing the value. And yeah, we have found that too, that a lot of people add on just right away that middle tier, lower cost offer or some people will bypass altogether the first offer, go join our membership. And even though it's like, they're not almost really ready for it, they see our teaching. They see like, oh my gosh, these people provide incredible value. Now I kind of know that the bigger ticket item is worth it. And then they'll come back and buy that. We'll even tell people sometimes, they'll be like, man, I'm in your membership and I love it, but I'm still not getting clients. And we're like, that's because you didn't buy the thing that teaches you to get clients we'll tell people to cancel their membership and go buy the higher ticket thing sometimes because we're like, this is what you really need. Go over here. And we're working on our messaging so people don't make that mistake. But again, I mean, is it a mistake if it got them where they needed to be? I don't know. But that's, we do find that happens quite a bit, actually. I don't know if it's necessarily a mistake because it really shows them like what's possible and that you have more advanced teachings available and it kind of gives them a taste of like what's to come. And it's kind of like a premium sample almost, right? And gets them really ready to buy your your first product, your more expensive product there. So love that. Okay. So we should probably wrap this up pretty soon, but I've got a couple questions for you. These are like questions about VAs from a couple of our Startup Society members that I want to make sure we get some time for. So the first one comes from a Startup Society member named Denise. And she asked, what are some signs that might be popping up in our business or in our work-life balance that would tell us that it may be time to consider hiring a VA? Do you have any thoughts on that? So my answer might be a little unconventional, but it also pairs with my personality and my journey. So just know this might not be for everyone, but I am a huge fan of hiring from almost day one. Now, I will preface that by saying, like, obviously, if whatever money your business is making, you need 100% of that from the get-go, then obviously don't put your family at a place where you're, like, not able to provide for them because. But 
if you have the margin financially to even take a small amount of what you're bringing in to spend on hiring help, I think that the faster that we learn the process of outsourcing, the better. I think that the quicker you can get into that practice because outsourcing is not easy. I still struggle with it and I've been doing this since 2015. Like I still hold on to things that I shouldn't. So you're gonna be in the practice of how to hire somebody. You're gonna learn, oh, what is for me and what should I be handing off? You know, what are the things that only I can do and what are the things that light me up and what are the things that don't? And so getting into the practice of outsourcing, I think the sooner the better. Obviously, your business model needs to be able to sustain that. And so you can start really, really small or even possibly with like a one-time project. You know, if you find yourself spending hours and hours and hours building your website, if you have the financial capacity, what if you just hired somebody to do your website for you, right? And just see what happens whenever you allow somebody who's actually really talented and passionate about the thing that you're not talented and passionate about. For me, this whole world opens up of like, oh my gosh, I can run so much faster and feel so much freer when I'm not bogged down by doing the things I don't enjoy. So I'm a big fan of doing it as soon as possible. And then obviously just working within your numbers. So when you talk about working within your numbers, every business model is different. And I even teach all of my VAs that around like the 30% or lower, we try not to go too much past like 30, for some business models up to 35% of our overall operating expenses being spent on team. I don't know what you guys do. And again, some people do way less than that. But again, if you're breaking it down really, really simply, like if I'm a copywriter, charging $60 an hour, could I pay somebody $15 or $20 an hour that I could subcontract that work to, right? Or if I'm a business and I'm bringing in $100,000 a year, man, paying $20,000 for a VA or even $12,000, doing $1,000 a month and seeing where that money takes you and the time it frees up for you to be able to do more. Like, I really challenge you to at least think about it, experiment with it. And if it doesn't go great the first time, don't let that discourage you because Sometimes it does take a couple like trial and error for you, for the individual, you know, for you to figure out how to make this thing work. But that's what I would recommend. And I'll give one book recommendation too. It's really built for big businesses, but I think that the concepts inside of it are so valuable. It's called Hiring for Attitude. It is one of my favorite books because it really helps you to hire people off of like the cultural fit first and skill second, which I think is actually a beautiful way to hire people. I think that every time that I have hired just like a good quality person that I know can stick with me long time because they believe in like the mission of my company, that has always gotten me further than finding the person with like the highest technical skill. So yeah, for sure. And your numbers you gave were spot on. They match my business almost exactly 30 to 35% of revenue is spent on team. I'll share really briefly my messy story of my first hires that I think ultimately proves your point that hiring sooner is better. So I remember back in the day, I'd probably been running my business for a year or two, but was only finally starting to see a little bit of traction. And I read a couple books. There's this one called Virtual Freedom, for example. I'm sure you've heard of it. A few different books about how amazing hiring a VA could be and how you could just like outsource all of your low-level tasks. And I was like, okay, sounds great. Sign me up. So I went out there and I tried hiring a few different different VAs. And it was just like kind of like a crash and burn. 
Honestly, I don't know if they were good VAs or not, but I had no idea how to like manage people. I had no idea what to outsource or how to effectively delegate. That was probably the very biggest thing. I had no idea how to effectively delegate. So after trying probably like three different people, I finally decided, okay, it's not just them. It's probably at least half of me here. And so take a little step back. Then I finally made two successful hires and they weren't VAs. I hired a video editor to edit my YouTube videos. That was my first successful hire ever. I think it was so successful because the task at hand was really clearly defined. It wasn't like, come help me with a bunch of little random things. It was, you're going to edit this video for me. And this is what I want the video to look like, please. Because I had already done it myself. I already had examples of what a successful outcome looked like. So that just was like a success from day one there. And then the second hire, now you were saying that your advice is like a little maybe contrarian, right? It's not what a lot of people preach. And I also kind of zigged when everyone else was zagging. I hired an operations manager or a business manager or an OBM, all different names for the same thing, before I had any other team. And a lot of people would look at that and be like, you're getting in way over your head. Like you don't need an OBM when you're a solopreneur. Like what are you even doing? Too big for your britches here. Come on. But it was perfect for me because I had identified that my, I read the book Rocket Fuel, which talks about like, there's two different kinds of entrepreneurs. So good. Everyone should read it. Yeah. <laughs> but there's like two different kinds of entrepreneurs. There are these entrepreneurs that are the visionaries. They've got the ideas. They're the idea people. They charge forward with all their ideas. They make a huge mess in the process, but they also make a lot of progress. Then you've got these other entrepreneurs. They get termed different things. Um, in that book, they're called the integrators. But they're more like the systems people. They're the slow and steady. They are like the management people. So they might not make a ton of forward progress, but everything they do is like really ship shape. And I read that book and I was just like, mind blown. I am so obviously a visionary. That's what's wrong with my business is that I cannot keep up with like the normal day-to-day tasks, even though I'm charging full steam ahead or maybe because I'm charging full steam ahead. I need an integrator to my visionary. I need that other half in my business management to be able to grow my business. So I went out there and I hired someone. Uh, it was my operations manager, Courtney. She's amazing. I've never looked back. My business has never been the same. And we've just grown, you know, like crazy ever since then. Then I was finally able to take on a team, hire some other VAs and things like that. I was not capable personally to do that. So again, like I think this kind of proves your point. You have to hire early. I totally agree. Like, wait until you're making some money. Don't just like hire because you think that's what's going to make you money. If you're not making any money, hiring people probably won't help you make money. You have to figure out how to make the money first, then hire the people to help you and make it easier, right? But your first few hires might be really messy. That doesn't mean it's too early. That means that you have a little bit of a learning curve to get through before you figure out exactly who you need to hire and how to manage people and all that sort of thing. Anyway, so... I agree. Thank you for your answer, Abby. Um, let's move on to this second and our last question. This one comes in from Christy, who asked, what would need to be considered for turning into an agency from a solo VA? If someone wanted to have several VAs work with them or for them, how would they go about setting that up? What would the process be? Or how would they know when it's time for that step? Mm, so good. So again, You can choose to do that from day one. That's what I did, is that I knew I wanted an agency model. So I essentially, you know, my rate was only $30 an hour, and I was doing hourly work at that point. And so I literally just started asking friends. I didn't even hire, like, actual VAs. I just asked my other friends who were moms, 
hey, I know that you used to do graphics in college. You're a stay-at-home mom. If I just sent you these graphics, could you do them for me? And I'll pay you 10, 12 bucks an hour. And they were thrilled to do so. And so that was like how I got my start back in 2015 was literally just starting to outsource like little tiny projects that my clients were giving to me. I'd give the work on to those individuals. They'd hand it back to me. I'd check it and I'd give it to my clients. And so again, it was kind of in that 30% mark-ish that I was doing that for. And it worked out. It was a win-win, right? And so I think that you can do it from the very beginning. And there's different ways to build an agency. So you can kind of do that model where I am, you know, offering, whether it's general admin or, you know, you could have a social media agency, you could have a Pinterest agency, you could have a niche service, or you can be general admin. Clients give you work and then you pass it on to your team and then they pass it back to you. That works great hourly or package base. At the same way, if you have really a, what we call a productized service. So that would be, I build a website and my website package is so productized that it means that everybody who comes to me gets a seven page website. It's page one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and it's 90% systematized. And we just plug in your 10% customization. That is a beautiful model as well. Because what happens then is that you are just charging $5,000 or whatever, $8,000 for a website. It's pretty repeatable and systematic. And the more systematic your business can be, the easier it is to hire people. And that's whether you're an agency or not, right? The more that you have systems and processes. So if you kind of have that productized service, then you don't necessarily have to say, okay, I'm going to hand off and my rate $60 an hour. So I'm going to hire somebody for $20 an hour. You can say, hey... I'm charging $9,000 for this website. So I'm going to spend $3,000 on what it would take for somebody to like do most of that for me, right? So I'm going to spend $3,000 on a graphics person, a copywriter, the actual admin part of it, and maybe a salesperson to help with my business, whatever. I mean, it can look different ways, but that's the beauty of it is that like you can decide what type of business you want to run as far as your agency goes. Is it going to be and there's also another model where you just connect people directly too, right? Like, so I have a VA and I'm not the middleman. I'm just connecting them directly to my clients. So there's so many different models that you can do inside of an agency. Those are the basic ones, but the general principles are the same. Like it's not too early to do it. Have really great systems that will help you. And that's where Jillian was saying, like, if you can get your systems in place, the earlier, the better. And sometimes you might need like an integrator to help create those systems. I sure know that I did. So having systems and then, you know, that the financial part of keeping it kind of within that 30% mark, I think you're good. And then and then keep things legal too. Make sure that you have a good contract with your subcontractors. I never overpromise work. That's one of the things like I wouldn't say, oh, I'm going to give you 10 hours a month of work if you don't know for sure that you have that right. Like it's just going to be a per project or as you have it basis. That way you're not overcommitting yourself to your subcontractors. So that was a really, really quick rundown. <laughs> I hope that that's helpful. Yeah, for sure. That was great. Thanks. And I'll just put out there that that 30% rule is actually a very general rule in business that whenever you are selling a product that you want to keep your cost at about like 30 to 33%. So for example, you go into Walmart, you buy a toothbrush, Walmart probably paid 
33% or less of the price that you're paying for that toothbrush. And then typically another like roughly third of the total like sale price of the product ends up getting taken up with like admin expenses or shipping and handling or various things like that. So most of the time businesses end up with a roughly, and of course, like it varies hugely across industry, but roughly 30% profit margin on individual product sales. So just like to give people a little bit of context of like kind of where that idea of spending 30 to 35% on your team comes from, that's talking, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, Abby, but talking primarily about like these digital businesses that we run where we don't necessarily have a cost of goods sold, like a cost per unit that we're selling, but we still have pretty significant costs when it comes to our team to create the content and manage the members and all of that. Exactly. Nope. Could have said it better myself. You're having, if about 30% is going toward team, if you were to have a physical product, that would probably be about what it would cost for your physical product, the goods. It's just our goods are a service. So the team for that, the other 30% is going to be your software. So like we are a little bit more on like the 35% for team, but we have so much of what happens with ours is team-based. We don't, we have like no cost of goods, right? And so we actually spend closer to like 25% right on our like operating expenses. So things like software, coaching, courses that I buy, things like that. And then that way we have a roughly 30% for profit. And then out of that 30% of profit, you pay taxes on the 30%. So you want to, that's why again, like having these buckets are good because you want to have enough at the end of the day that you're actually still making great money and building up an emergency fund for yourself too. I, I mean, you talk about all that, but I, even out of that 30% that after I say for taxes, we always make sure that we have at least a three to four month emergency fund too of like, what does it take on a monthly basis to operate the business? I'm going to have three or four months expenses in that account. And I just like to do that for my own, just because, I mean, I'm paying people, like literally people's livelihood depends on me. So if we had a rough month, like if we ever didn't turn a profit, which we haven't really done, but if we didn't, I would want to make sure that we have enough in that account that my team feels safe and secure in their positions. Yeah, for sure. And just to break this down a little bit more, when we look at the differences between the digital businesses versus like the physical product businesses, in my business, I spend like 30 to 35% on my team, but I also have a roughly 45 to 50% profit margin because the, all the rest of my expenses only end up taking about 20% or so of my revenue. So I end up with this, you know, really nice, healthy 45% profit margin. On the other hand, in most physical product businesses, you've got that 30 to 35% spent on the cost of goods sold. And then you've also got the team expense, which with a physical product business, it might be a little bit lower because you're not maybe having to provide so much customer support or admin or that sort of thing. But somebody's still got to somehow create those products or and or ship them, right? And manage the customers and all of that. So you might spend a little bit less, you know, maybe like 25% on your team. But then you've also got admin expenses on top of that. You're running your website and all of that. And so the profit margin on a physical product business often ends up more like 20% or something like that at the end of the day. So that's why I love digital businesses. That's why I sell online courses, right? Yep. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, Abby, this has been so good. Thank you so much again for just like being so super transparent and just like real and raw and showing us the messy middle because honestly, it is all the messy middle, right? I was telling someone the other day, they were asking me kind of like where I was in my business. And I was like, I feel like I should have arrived, but I just feel like I'm still in the messy middle. And they just spoke the truth to me and said like, it's all the messy middle, right? You're never going to arrive. You're never going to have made it wherever you are right now is going to feel like the messy middle. So I just appreciate, again, your honesty and your transparency. And thank you just so much for everything that you've shared with us today. Of course, totally agree with you. And thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. And one last thing before we wrap this up, if someone wants to learn more about becoming a VA, I know that's what you specialize in helping people with. Where can they go to learn how to become a VA or how to up-level their VA business? Yeah, you can find us on all platforms, The Virtual Savvy. So that's over on YouTube. That's on Instagram. Uh, you can go to thevirtualsavvy.com and we do have a free checklist and starter kit, thevirtualsavvy.com slash VA checklist that you can download that will uh, help you get started as well. Fantastic. So that's thevirtualsavvy.com. I'll be sure to include a link in the show notes for this podcast as well. Thank you so much, Abby. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Work Less, Earn More. Are you ready to finally take the leap in your business to making six figures year after year? I would love to work with you to turn your inconsistent income into consistent 10K plus months. And we've created an entire program to guide you to do exactly that. It's called 100K Mastermind, and it's a 12-month mentorship that will guide you to set up your strategic automated sales funnel system and fuel it with ready-to-buy leads. Because we know that you don't just need a funnel, you need a strategically designed funnel based in sales psychology, and you need a system that's going to send leads into it. Because a funnel without any leads flowing through it isn't going to make you any money. If you're interested in working together to get your six-figure system set up, then head to gillianperkins.com slash 100k. That's gillianperkins.com slash 100k. On that page, you're going to find all the details about the program, what we cover in it, exactly what you'll learn and what you'll accomplish, as well as the dates for our next cohort and the link to apply. Again, just visit gillianperkins.com slash 100K. I can promise you this, your business and life will never be the same. Okay, let's wrap this up. I'm Gillian Perkins and until next week, stay focused and take action.